exposition uh, this morning of the Lord's Prayer. And we are going to uh, address again verse 11. But let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us. And then read Scripture. Let's pray. Now, blessed Lord, come to us and give us light and understanding. Lord, as your people and as your children, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in the right way, in a way that's pleasing in your sight, in the way the Word directs us to pray. Lord, help us to know your Word. Help us to have the right attitude. Lord, and where we are wrong, correct us. Where we are indifferent, rebuke us. Where we have become complacent, are greedy, are, Lord, sinful, correct us, rebuke us, change us. Lord, move us to the path of light and blessing in Christ. Help us to have a, a greater passion for the truth, a greater love for Christ, a greater love for you and your kingdom, the church and the means of grace, and a greater love for one another. Lord, let your word have its way with us this morning as we bow before it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, would you stand with me? Hear now the word of God. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to address again this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, what we commonly know as the Lord's Prayer, or the very first petition as it relates to ourselves and others. Those first three petitions all related to the first commandment, all related to God Himself and His kingdom, and and that is proper. Christ is teaching us that God is the head and we are the body. He is the superior, we are the inferior. That we ought to learn to live this life in a balanced way. Now, when I say that, I do not mean that we do 50% and God does 50%. That's not what I mean by balance. What I mean by that is that proper that which the Bible teaches us, that which the Bible lays out before us, that's the balanced Christian life. Whatever the Word teaches us to believe, we believe it. Whatever the Word shows us to do, we do it. And how, how the Word addresses our attitude, mentality, our speech, how we communicate, all of those things that are involved in doing work, that we would submit to it. That's what I mean by a balanced life. We ought to have a balanced Christian life, and that means subordinating ourselves in every way to the precious teaching of God's Word. And by doing that, we are submitting to the glory of God. Now, as we address this fourth petition, which is 
uh, give us this day our daily bread, we have to consider what it means to live the Christian life here and now. As I mentioned last week, this is a petition, a teaching, a doctrine of Scripture that does counter and oppose the very popular Christian idea that God's not concerned with this life at all, or if any, very little. He's mainly concerned about eternity. And there are many Christians that live this life so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That is, they've adopted a false doctrine, a heresy, that teaches them that as long as they have Jesus in their heart, as long as they sort of believe and confess in Jesus and desire to live everlastingly with Him, that they, it doesn't matter how they live this life. Now that's an extreme view. I so you know I'm swinging to the other opposite end here to to show the foolishness of it and there's plenty in between. The bottom line is if you have the idea this morning that God's not concerned about how you brushed your teeth, combed your hair, how you responded to your parents, parents, how you responded to your children, then you're not thinking like a Christian. You're not thinking the way God is teaching us to think from His Word. This petition addresses this life. This life. Give us this day our daily bread. We must be willing, whatever it takes, to reform our thinking and our conversation and our living to conform to what Scripture teaches us and that we might pray this petition correctly. Correctly. If we are going to pray this petition, we need to understand it, right? We don't want to pray anything. Look, this idea that faith is nebulous, it's like Plato or Mr. Potato Head. You can just make it whatever you want. That's not Christianity. That's not the Christian faith. Faith is not Plato. You can't make it whatever you want. Faith is that belief and trust and rest in the person of Christ and in all that Christ is and is doing with us, to us, and through us. And we're submitting... We're submitting substantively to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word. That's of substance. That's objective. That's not nebulous. That's not subjective in the sense I can make up my own version of faith. Miss Paula can make up her own version of faith. Sydney can make up. And we can all just get together and have a happy old good time because at least we all believe in God. That's not Christianity. And that's the way a lot of people gather. And that's the way a lot of people worship. We cannot be guilty of that, brothers and sisters. We cannot be guilty of that. We need to understand what it means to live this life as a Christian and as a church. And as a ministry, we need to be focused on the whole counsel of God's Word, right? We need to, we want what all God has to say to us so we miss nothing. 
We want it all. If God said it, it's important. If God revealed it, we need to understand it and know it. That which has been revealed belongs to us and our children and our children's children. And because God is in the middle of it, we should desire it above all things. Now, brothers and sisters, let's look at what the the whole counsel of God's Word says this morning as we look at this fourth petition, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want to counter and oppose the the idea or that, that, that philosophy that teaches that Well, you know, God is not concerned or very little concerned at all about our daily bread, about the clothes we wear, about our hobbies, activities, any of those things. I I want to show you it it cannot stand up to the teaching of Scripture. I want you to stand. It's not my opinion as your pastor. This is not a personal hobby horse for me. I want you to know, number one, last week, I taught you God cares about you. Spent the whole sermon kind of unfolding Scripture and showing everyone that God cares for us. And He cares for us here. This morning, I want to show you what it means to pray this petition. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to just walk you through the, the, the different dispensations of Scripture. Now, I'm going to explain that as I go. But look in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Everybody turn there, Genesis 2. Now, in chapter 2, you have the account of creation. It's the record of it. Guess what? You were not there. I was not there. The oldest man ever to live was not there. God was there. And this is the account given to us in Holy Scripture about the origin and the beginning of life. And it was not through evolution. It was not done over millions of years. It was done instantaneously by the word and power of God. And God spoke everything into existence outside of himself. This is the record of it. Let's take notice of it. Look at verse 9. Let me me, um, back up to verse 7. And then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to stop there. All I'm going to point out to you is that what? We have is a record of our God in the origin of the universe, all that he created, plants man or creates man out of the dust of the ground. Where does he put man? In a garden. And with all of the provisions that Holy Scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says what? In verse 9, out of the ground God calls to grow every tree that is 
pleasing to the sight and good for food. Now I want to point out something to you. The aesthetic value of God's creation and man's pleasure in it. He cares. I'm going to sound, it's going to sound really, really trite, but you've got to put it in perspective and context of what I'm saying. God cares about colors. He cares. The, why is the grass green? Because that's the way God wanted it. Why are leaves, you know, they, they, you know, we love the fall, and one of the reasons we love the fall is not just the change in the temperature, but the brilliance of all the colors, right? Who did that? That's not a process of evolution. That's a process of an articulate creator who caused and created those trees to do exactly that at the change of the temperature and in the proper seasons. Look at verse 15. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded, uh, the Lord God commanded a man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And I'm just going to stop there and just point out to you again. I'm pointing out to you that God cares about us in this life. He made this life. He created this life. It's not garbage. It wasn't junk. It wasn't a mistake. God, in, in, not in one way, made a mistake. It was perfect. He tells man, all of this is yours. I want you to think about it. God said... Out of all of this, you're free. Notice what he says, right? He says, he put him in the, the cultivating, look at verse 16. God commanded him, saying, any tree of the garden eat, of the garden, you may eat what? Freely. Get what you want. Have what you want. Eat what you want. Eat one, eat two, eat three. That would have never been divorced from His glory. That would have never been divorced from Adam giving thanks for everything he touched and ate. For the beauty he saw every day. Just like the Lord's Prayer teaches us first God's glory and majesty, now He's teaching us how we're to live in this life. All coupled together, never to be separated. And when it is separated, you're going down. You're going down. You're going, you're going to experience a, a host, a host of problems in your life, a host of guilt, all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems you're going to have when you divorce His glory from what you're to do in this life. I think, again, we're to recognize that God created man gave him all of these pleasures in this life, all of it would be coupled with God's glory. He would give thanks and he would exercise dominion if he would have kept God's commandments. He did not. Now let's go to another passage. Go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Now we have, we have the creation. 
Before sin came into the world, we have this record of God's immense goodness, God's care for us, God's concern for us, God's delight in giving to us an abundance, right? We saw that. Everybody see, everybody saw that. But now I want you to understand something. Did God change between then and man's fall? And the giving of the law of Moses when, when he brought Israel out of Egypt under the headship and leadership of Moses the prophet, did God change? Did God in any way, uh, did, did his desire, concern, his joy in giving to us in abundance, did any of that diminish in God's character and nature? Now if we say yes, then we've just accused God of being changeable. We've accused God of being reactionary. That is, that would be God reacting and responding to us. That's what we do. We're reactionary creatures. God's not. God's fixed, consistent, always good, always glorious, always perfect in all of His perfections. God hasn't changed. Now let's read the fourth commandment. Look there with me at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, or but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant, female servant, your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days God... In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea that all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I'm going to stop there and just point out one obvious thing. How many days did he give to man to do his work out of the seven? Six. Six. I want you to couple that in relationship to the petition, give us this day our daily bread. God cares for us. God is concerned about us in this life. And He wants us, as we're going to see in a few minutes, He wants us to pray in accord to these truths, biblically. That is, here now, here's the nation of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt being delivered from the house of bondage. And here's, what is it? Here's now God saying, listen, six days you have for yourself. Six. I require one of seven. Six days I want you to work. I want you to provide for yourself. I want you to, to, uh, I want you to glorify me in all of these earthly things that I have given you to enjoy. All of these things. I want you to pretend. Six days you have for yourself. The seventh is mine. Now see, this is a... I'm um, not going to get into the teaching of the Sabbath, though I'd love to talk about it. We can talk about it tonight if you bring it up. Here's a dispensation of law... And even in this dispensation of law, that many Christians would say this, Oh, look, that law is so encumbersome. Oh, the law. Oh, how God was just so uh, heavy and, and burdensome in the Old Testament. What does the fourth commandment say? Six days is yours. 
And I'm not going to go into all of the feast laws and rules about God saying, listen, enjoy yourself. Spend this on yourself. Be content. Be satisfied. I'm not going to go into that, but I want you to see, brothers and sisters, from the creation of the world to Moses, what's changed? God says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The Sabbath day, and I think I want you to, that does put it in perspective on what we ought to think about on the Sabbath day, right? Thanksgiving, praise, where we come and actually can concentrate on the gifts that God's given to us. And I'm not talking about a car, children. I'm talking about contentment. How valuable is satisfaction? When we live in a world that says, I can't get no satisfaction. We as Christians, by the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, brings to us what? Satisfaction of this life. Amen. Amen. Let's go to another, uh, let's go all the way now into the gospel dispensation in Christ. Let's look at 1 Timothy. We could go to the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at those passages um, several times already during the course of the series. But let me just again point out, I want to point to you now the teaching of Paul. And in 1 Timothy, uh, let's look at our first passage, uh, chapter 4. Chapter 4, look there with me at verse 7. And again, here's, here's, um, here's Paul giving advice to this young pastor. In verse 6, I'm going to read that. Now, he's giving advice to, to Timothy, a pastor. And he's got his hands full. He's pastoring in the city that's full of paganism. It's full of witchcraft. It's full of all kinds of idolatry. And he needs to encourage this pastor. You can imagine what it would be like to pastor people coming out of such things. You know, we don't give up sins easily, do we? We don't give up philosophies easily. We don't give up things that, you know, that we have spent our lives doing. We don't give them up easily. And here's, here's a pastor in a session trying to shepherd these people. And Paul wants to give Timothy some advice. Look at verse 6. He says, Timothy, in pointing out these things. All right, we, you go read the rest of it. And pointing out these things, that is these heresies or these, these false teachings. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant in Christ Jesus. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now notice what Paul says here, verse 8. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. Now I'm going to stop there. You say, well, Pastor, that looks like it contradicts what you said. Not at all. It complements everything. What is Paul saying? Now notice the context of Timothy's pastorate. He's living in a culture that exalts the body. We don't know anything about that, do we? We don't know anything about the worship of athletics, do we? 
We don't know anything in the 21st century about the worship of the human body, do we? Well, they did. They worshiped the human body. They worshiped the human anatomy. They worshiped athletic ability. They worshiped uh, man's man. They worshiped man. And you can imagine they would have talked about exercise and they would have talked about all these things. And what Paul is saying is he says, I'm not saying that exercise doesn't have value in this life. That's not what he said, is it? He said, what I'm telling you is in comparison. He's making a contrast. He says, look, you can give all your life over to the, to the exaltation of the human anatomy. You can lift weights. You can run and, and, and do all these things. But guess what? You are going to age. You are going to break down. You are going to die. You can't even... You can, you can improve a quality of life if you want strength to take out the garbage. I mean, I'm not going to, look, that's, that's real. Hold your grandchildren. All those things, okay, physically. But Paul is making a contrast. He said, listen, it holds no value in the life to come. That is, you're not going to be judged on your physical appearance in heaven. You're not going to be judged on whether you could bench press 200 pounds. You're not going to be judged whether you can run a seven-minute mile. You're not going to be judged on all of these aesthetics. You're, not, you're going to be judged upon the condition of your heart. Spiritually, that holds promise for this life, God's blessing, and the life to come, eternity. But I want you, don't fail to see the connection. Paul is saying, look, there's a lot of things going on out here. It's the worship of the human body. And I'm not saying that's all wrong, but I'm here to tell you this. It has no value in the next life, though it does have some value in this life. Let's look at chapter 5, verse um, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, for his own, and especially for those in of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that's a passage of scripture that addresses this life, isn't it? And I want you to notice this. You know what I thought of? There is not a greater admonition in all of scripture. Of all the apostle Paul. I mean, does Paul say, if you don't read your Bible, you're an unbeliever? If you don't read your Bible every day for an hour a day, you are worse than an unbeliever. Does he ever say that? Does he ever make the connection? Oh, if you don't pray and you don't pray every day and you don't pray for this amount of time, you are worse than an unbeliever. But notice what he says. If you don't provide for your family physically, working, laboring, if you are not concerned about these six days of labor that God's given to you, you're worse. You've denied the faith. You've denied the faith. What Paul is saying is, listen, as we eat and drink and have our being, if you don't do this in the Christian mindset, in in the blessing of God, you have denied the faith. How many times have we minimized those things that God says, teach the faith, exemplify the faith? When Adam was going to labor in the garden, he'd have done so in the the majesty and the power of, 
granted to him by God. Moses says, listen, all these things, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And guess what? And then God was going to show them how they were going to work, how they're going to live, how they're going to do all these things. How are they going to enjoy themselves? Remember, last week I read the passage in Deuteronomy 8 that says, when you go into the promised land and you're drinking wine from a vineyard you didn't plant, when you're eating in a house you didn't build, uh-huh. when you are enjoying the profits of a livestock you didn't secure, when your gold and silver multiply, be careful that you don't forget me. I'm the one that gives wealth. Okay? Paul here says, Paul here takes all of this into account and he says, if you can't provide for your household, you are worse than an unbeliever and you denied the faith. Strong, isn't it? That is, and I'm going to tell you, I think, but Paul we're to pray all the time. I don't have time to work. I'm constantly praying. If you don't provide for your own, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Not equal to an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. Because you know what unbelievers do? Unbelievers get up and go to work. Unbelievers provide for their wives and children. Unbelievers, you know, invest. Unbelievers save money. Unbelievers help their families. Remember, Jesus uses the same illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, what father gives to their son a snake when he asks for bread? Jesus is playing on the fact that even unbelievers know how to give good things to their children when they ask. How much more your heavenly father How much more He, Him, who is all good, merciful, kind, and and, and benevolent. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. Paul does warn Timothy. um, Paul warns Timothy about... Desiring money more than he ought. Not, not the desire of money, but the, the greed, the, 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 the infatuation with it, the, the ungodly pursuit of it. He warns him in all of these things. But notice chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, but godliness actually is a means of what? Great gain when accompanied by contentment. 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 Look at verse 8. For if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, that is, those who are greedy, who, who are the ones who will, who will do anything at all costs to get rich? Now, in the Bible, we call them greedy. Now, in America, in America, we call them ambitious. You know, we call them, you know, success driven. You know, everything's changed and the vernacular's changed, you know. Um, in fact, I saw this uh, advertisement for this new uh, 
a TV show where uh, these housewives go and start robbing stores to, you know, to provide for their families and to make up for their financial uh, shortfall. And the, the description was not that they're thieves. It's just that they take matters into their own hands in order to secure for them financial success. <laughs> That's one way to think about it, isn't it? Right? Oh, I'm just going to rob a bank because I want to secure my financial success. I mean, it sounds like a business manual, doesn't it? But that's the way we do. That's the way we are in this country. We want to rid ourselves of all guilt. We want to minimize guilt at all costs. But notice what Paul says here in verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not the root of evil, but the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith have and pierced themselves with many griefs. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, you know, listen, I think it's complimenting everything I've already told you. We are to work, we are to provide, we are to labor, we are to, we are to, um, as we're going to find out, we are to pray and ask God for all of the blessings that he has providentially uh, uh, given to us in this life. We're to ask for them. But we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful. And that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about being balanced. Being balanced. Okay? We don't want to be guilty of greed. Greed is a sin. We don't want to be gluttonous. You know, we think about gluttony, which, I mean, is that a word? When is the last time you heard the word gluttony? But, you know, gluttony, this doesn't pertain to food. It doesn't. We can all be gluttonous. Why? Because really what gluttony is in principle is the excess of something. The excess of it. I don't want just a little bit of it. I just don't want my portion. I want your portion too. And your portion. And your portion. And your, I want all of your portions. I want it. It's the excess of anything is gluttonous. Okay? So what does it mean, brothers and sisters, to ask for your daily bread? Well, bread in this petition doesn't mean um, what some people say it does who will take this petition and spiritualize it and say, well, who's the bread of life? Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. So really what this petition is saying is, give us Jesus. No, that's, that's, that's not what it's saying. Jesus is the bread of life, but we do harm to how we come and approach Scripture and interpret it by just assuming that this is what He's talking about. Now, I've demonstrated for you the whole counsel of God teaches that God cares about this life. And now Jesus is teaching us how we are to live in this life under subordination to the glory and majesty of God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we ought to pray, Heavenly Father, who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns everything, 
who possesses everything, who owns it all, and who dispenses it at His pleasure and as He pleases, I pray and ask, O God, that You would give me my daily portion. You're the giver. I'm the receiver. It's, it's a, it's a pati- bread here. I can't think of the theological term. It's a, a synodoche. It, it's, a, it's a single word that's descriptive of a much bigger picture. A single word. It's like saying, hey man, you want to go check out my wheels? Outside, you know, you want to check out my wheels? Wheels in that sentence is that synodoche. It, it's a word that's descriptive of the whole car. Now we're not going to go outside and say, hey man, just look at my rims. No, look at the whole car. Bread in this context and in this petition is a single word that is pregnant of the descriptive blessings that God has so chosen to give all of us in this life. And we ought to go before our Heavenly Father and say, Father, I want all that you have for me in this life. I want it. Give me my daily bread. Now, first of all, brothers and sisters, listen. We know when we come and we pray this petition, we don't deserve our daily bread from God. First and foremost. Don't come with the attitude of, I deserve this. I have a right to this. Remember, we sinned in Adam. We fail in Adam, we sinned in Adam, we rebelled against God, and so now the curse rests upon us is that we would make our living by the sweat of our brow. Hard. Life's hard. And why it's important that we recognize this is because if we don't get what we believe we deserve, then we immediately begin to judge God. We become His judge instead of He being our judge. We know that in this life, because of our own sin... Now look, it's enough to already know we've incurred the guilt of Adam, but how many sins have you committed? How many sins have I committed since I've been alive? How many sins have I committed since I've been a Christian? How many sins have you committed today? And yet, be careful that when you pray this petition, you don't go in the haughtiness of, I deserve this. It's a petition of humility. We humble ourselves before our God who is the dispenser of all good things. It also teaches us, beloved, that outside of God in Christ, there are no good things. What I mean to say by this, and you listen very carefully, I do not want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. You may be in your life as rich as Bill Gates or richer. Without Christ, it will be a detriment to you on day of judgment. Without Christ, you will never enjoy it to the fullest. Without Christ... All of that money, all of those things will never, ever. There is a satisfaction that you will never achieve without Christ. Never. You listen to your pastor, young people. You heard it here. Without Jesus, 
There is no true satisfaction or contentment in this life. And if you don't have those two things, you're going to be a miserable person. You're going to be a miserable wife. You're going to be a miserable husband. You're going to be a miserable friend. Because all you're going to do is bring people down and you're going to be a complainer and a murmurer. You're not going to be one who builds up others and seeks the good of others. Because at heart, you're selfish, you're greedy, and you're a glutton. Note that. Because I can tell you now, so much of my past counseling, it all, so much of it stems around those things. They won't do what I want. They won't give me what I want. Okay? What do you deserve? Hmm, well... Take them to scripture and they go, I don't guess I deserve anything. Then why are you demanding it? The light comes on sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. We need to recognize, brothers and sisters, that because of our sins, we don't deserve the blessings of God. Amen. This petition, this petition teaches us to never call upon God and judge Him unfairly if He chooses not to give us those things we ask for. That is, oh, I want my daily bread, but I thought that daily bread would be more than this. I see all the older saints smiling. You know why? Because we've been there, haven't we? The young people have no idea hardly what I'm talking about. If you don't get what you ask for at Christmas, it's the end of the world, isn't it? But you're going to find out that life is full of challenges and changes. Your body is full of all kinds of surprises, isn't it? You need to learn to pray this petition rightly. When we talk about the blessings of God, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about contentment. We're talking about satisfaction. We're talking about, Lord, give me my daily bodily blessing. Give me the strength I need to do the work that you've called me to do. Give me the strength not to exalt myself or to be vain. Give me the strength to be a blessing to my home. Give me the strength to be a blessing to my friends, my church, to my community. Lord, give me, Lord, if you don't give me uh, the strength, if you give me the migraines, if you give me cancer, if you give me any condition where you can't get up and jump around like you, give me the grace to deal with it. Give me the grace to deal with it. Give me contentment. Give me those, cause the spirit in my life to be so strong that I bless your name and I bless my brothers and sisters that I'm around. So when they look at me, they go, man, I'd love to be like my sister. She is an encouragement to me, my brother, my friends. I mean, what an encouragement. And the reason that's important, because if that's not our mentality, I'm going to tell you something, if that's not your mentality now, change it, repent of it, because what you're going to do is you're going to start judging God. It's not fair. He gave these unbelievers, look at the rich they are. 
Look how, look how well off they are. They don't suffer from these things. God, that's unfair. I go to church. I read my Bible. I mean, I get up at 30 minutes early. I mean, I ought to be patted on the back. I mean, you know, come on, do we do those things? We think if we read our Bibles for one week, five days straight, we've done something. We think God owes us something. You can't have that mentality and pray this petition. We are to see his blessings as a free gift of grace. Amen. A free gift of grace. That his blessing would give us a certain amount of contentment with the measure of all physical things. If he gives you riches without contentment and satisfaction, it's a curse to you. If he gives you riches, then let him abundantly give you contentment and satisfaction. And guess what? And let him increase and incite in you the grace of giving. Giving. We read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. His sin was not that he was rich. Last week. His sin was not that he was rich. His sin was that he never once paid attention to the man Lazarus laying at his gate. Who would have been completely content, the parable says, to eat the crumbs off his table. The crumbs. The crumbs! The things that they sweep up and throw away. He would have been content to have the, the crumbs. And he didn't even get that. That God would bless us with an amount, a certain amount of grace and contentment and satisfaction. Satisfaction, brothers and sisters, is a blessing. Being satisfied is the key to the enjoyment of this life. Right? All the older people are going, that's exactly right. Because without satisfaction, you're lost. You're empty. You're greedy. You're selfish. Because you don't have never learned to be content with the measure of good God has given to you today. Now, we don't know what God has for you tomorrow. Somebody could, Miss Quilla, I have a check for you for $25 billion tomorrow. We don't know that. The odds are slim. (laughs) But hey, somebody died. You did a good deed for somebody 20 years ago. You didn't know it. You showed a tremendous amount of kindness. Look at this blessing. You don't know that. But that money without satisfaction and contentment will be a destruction to you. Good jobs, good friends. Hey, what about, see, it's not just money, friendships, relationships. How many friendships are destroyed by more, 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 more? I want more, I want more, I want more. That's gluttony. That's excess. A demand and constraint upon other people are no problem for the gluttonous. No problem for the gluttonous. Satisfaction is a blessing. Being satisfied 
and enjoying this life instead of always groping and wanting what you don't have is a curse. It's a curse. Now think about marriages and uh, you know jobs and and think about the relationships. Look at look at this country. You look at the pastimes of this country. It's always more, 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 more. It's a curse. This country has been given over to itself. It's a curse on this nation. We are to see wealth, beloved, in this life and all its, all its means as a blessing and a means of, God, uh, of glorifying God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it's for. The Bible says, better a house with love, with little. Better a house with love, with little, than a house with plenty, with no love. It's better to sit down and share a piece of bread with one another, if you care about one another than to have a banquet of people sitting around it. It's all about glutton and greed, gluttony and greed and selfishness. We are to pray for our, our daily bread, our portion. And the enemy, Satan, and the world has done a great job in tempting us to desire the most in this life. We don't want the little, we don't want just our daily portion. We want all of it. That's the temptation. He knows that if he can get us thinking about all of this success, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to achieve this. Listen to me. Listen to me. If Satan can get you thinking, oh, I'm going to be this. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to save this. I'm going to be that. He knows he can create in you bitterness. Guess guess what? It's never going to happen. He's getting you focused on the future. Future I'm going to be. I'm going to have instead of doing what? Our daily bread here and now. So people are so future oriented they're doing nothing now. And if they die today, they're going to be judged on today. Not their intentions. Israelites in the desert. I know I'm going along, but listen to me. The Israelites in the desert. There was no way that two million Hebrews could be sustained in the desert. So God had to provide for them. Now, he didn't send them down to the grocery store and say, listen, go ahead and get you a month's worth. Go on and get you a month's worth. You won't have to worry about this for 30 days. He said, no. Every day, go out and get your quail. Every day. Each morning, get up and go get your manna. On the sixth day, get your double portion. And only get what you can eat for two days. Because it's going to rot the third day. It's going to have worms in it. Are we any better? Daily bread. We need to be, brothers, sisters, listen to me. We need to be, we need to be working on today for tomorrow. Not 
worried about tomorrow, no good today. Okay? Satan knows. And it, listen, if you're if you're going if you're going to sit here, you know who's the best deceiver of yourself? You are. You can convince yourself of anything. You can, can, am I right? And Satan knows that. He plays on that. And he knows if he can get you so future oriented, he knows that in, when none of this happens, when my wife doesn't turn out to be what she, I thought she was going to be, our dream was when I was 16 years old. Or, oh, my husband, you know, 16 year old, fair minded young woman, Dreaming about her husband because of the world around her, and it don't he don't pan out to be exactly like that, you know, because he gets a little heavy, or he gets a little weight condition, or he gets a little physical impairment. He can't move. Can't. Hey, listen, Satan knows he can get you discouraged and embittered to the future, to the present, by when the future doesn't happen, because you deceived yourself. You were dishonest with yourself the whole time. You were dishonest with yourself. You lied to yourself. Instead of focusing upon the day, Lord, let me take today and let me bless your name. Let me be blessed by it. Let me take what you've given me now and make use of it. Remember Proverbs 30, don't give me too little that I would steal. And don't give me too much that I'd forget you. Okay. We need to stop fantasizing about way we want things to be. We need to stop fantasizing about what we think we're going to look like when we're 60 or 65 or 70 or whatever. We need to learn to live in this world and live in it today. We need to work on the here and now. Dreamers do not prosper here. Christians struggle day to day. All the temptations going on around us. Our mindset must be, we must set our faith on today. We have today, brothers and sisters. You have today because you woke up today. God didn't take you last night. God could have took you home last night. God could have, God could have taken, took you in your sleep. You could be in His presence right now. But He left all of us here to worship Him. We have today. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to exercise in it? Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to discipline our cravings. Our, we, need to learn to, we need to learn to be humble. James 4.13, we need to learn to stop saying, oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, what am I going to do here? I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. He said, look, today, today. That doesn't mean you don't plan. The Bible says the man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. We're talking about the excess of it. We're talking about the sinfulness of it. Okay. Let me give you some cautions here. I, I, I want us to see that this petition is a petition of humility. I don't deserve these things. See, a lot of people think humility, and I'm stealing this from um, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he makes the comment, he says, you know, a lot of people think humility is beautiful girls convincing themselves they're ugly. And that's so true, and I mean, we know I'm, I'm I'm really beautiful. I know I'm beautiful, but I'm I'm ugly. Are the most talented intellectual men saying they're foolish? 
Now, I've been around people like that. That's not humility. That's not humility. That's selfishness. See, humility is knowing what you have in the reality. See, Jesus was humble. He was God and man. He was, he was full of the spirit and power and glory. But in the reality, he had a mission to do. In reality, we have a mission. I've been given all that I have, all that I am, in the light of God's providence to use for his glory, my good, my satisfaction and contentment. Will I do that? And will I be content with that? Say, oh, but if I had all of these riches, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, there's all kinds of caution given to the rich in Scripture. Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter eternal life. The rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. Well, I've done that. Well, I tell you what, sell all you have and give to the poor. He walked away sad. Oh, the love of riches, brothers and sisters. With the riches without contentment and satisfaction is destruction. Now the poor, there's cautions there. Be careful. You don't want to steal, right? You don't want to be embittered about the rich guy. You know, there's a lot of poor people sitting around demanding that somebody give them something. What did he say? A man, Paul said, a man that won't work, don't let him eat. Be wise. Pray, ask God for your daily bread. Be careful if he's giving you riches. Be careful if he's given you an abundance of anything. Make sure you couple that with those first three petitions. Hallow his name, his kingdom come, his will be done. Turn to Mark 12. We're going to close with this verse. Mark 12. Look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, and she gave out of her poverty. Put in all she owned, all she had to live on. That's faith. I'm content with little if that's what God gives me. And I'm satisfied with little if that's what God gives me. Why? It's because Satisfaction and contentment is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But even if God gives me much, I'll bless Him and I'll give. If God gives me little, I'll bless Him and I'll give. Because give us our daily bread is an exercise in faith. Lord, I trust you to give me all that I need and nothing more and nothing less. But Lord, give me what you have for me and bless it. Let's pray.